0: Welcome to Camera Shake Podcast, episode number 56 with me, Kirsten Nuts and Nick Kirby. As always, we're going to be talking about anything and everything that's got anything to do with photography, videography, and anything that's got anything to do with making photography. Today, we have another really special guest on the show. Please welcome commercial advertising photographer, educator, speaker, and fellow guitarist, as I found out. Oh, yes. Please welcome the king of composites, Mr. Joel Grimes himself. Joel, how are you?
1: Well, at least I'm a king of something. well it's good to be with you guys
0: how's it going where you are you are you are in are you just outside of phoenix arizona is that right
1: uh well yeah on the west side of phoenix um so i grew up in tucson arizona that's south of here closer to the border mexican border um and then i spent 18 years in colorado uh a couple years out in la uh i moved around you know i gotta i gotta get away from my creditors you know so i keep moving (laughs) No, so I'm very nomadic. My wife thinks I'm crazy. But anyways, we're now building a house outside of... It's a small town uh, northwest of uh, Phoenix, kind of toward uh, as you're driving toward Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. So we're a little closer to the gambling capital. If we want to lose all our money, we we can just take a drive and we'll be in Vegas. But um, it's a little town called uh, Wickenburg. Uh, It's a cowboy town. So... Um, we're going to be, it's, it's kind of a fun, it's a little different environment than what, uh, I think we're used to here in Phoenix. I think I see
2: your spurs and spittoon in the background.
1: Well, um, you know, I was photographing this, uh, cowboy once, uh, the real deal. He was a cowboy that, uh, was a working cowboy. And I, I had my four by five, this is back before digital. I had my four by five. I had my assistant and a couple people were standing around watching. We were in this old barn. And I said to him, I said, Can I ask you a question? And he said, sure. I said, if I got a pair of boots like yours, a pair of Wrangler jeans, a shirt, and a hat, do you think I could pass as a cowboy? And he kind of put his head down like this and thought for a second. He goes, Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think no, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'd pass as a cowboy. I have to get a big, a big mustache or something, maybe get a little more weathered. But yeah, there's a special breed. They, it's a big deal out here. I don't know about, uh, I mean, there's cowboys all over. I guess uh, I'm trying to do uh, some some uh, photographs of cowboys down in Mexico, the Mexican cowboys, the rancheros. Mm. Uh, vaqueros, I think it's called. But anyways, I love cowboys. I love the, uh, I don't know. Um, the, the, I love characters, rough and yeah. tough characters.
0: That really runs yeah. through your portrait work as well, because that's, that's the thing that's mm. uh, fascinated me. Um you know, that's always fascinated me about your, especially your portraiture, is you know, the the characters that you that you photograph.
1: Yeah, I'm drawn to that. I I didn't really start doing beauty, beauty portraits, beauty fashion until I was 50 years old. Mm. Um that was like 30 years ago. But um, but no, I started late with the beauty. Beauty is very difficult. Uh you got to get that lighting just absolutely perfect, spot on. You can't mm. uh cowboys, you can probably be, get away with a little bit. Less, but still, it's all about the lighting, dramatic, a building the building an image that uh, viewers want to look at, stop mm-hmm. and take a look at. And um, so, um, when you say I'm the king of composites, that's kind of funny because I haven't really done that many composites in the last couple of years. <laughs> I, I, uh, but I did, I did do a lot of them. I kind of put me on the map. Um, and and now I do a lot of, I well, they're 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 kind of in camera composites. It's um, strobing. Multiple shots and then the camera's locked down. So then later I put it all together into one.
3: Yeah,
0: we did something very yeah. similar because we uh, over the well. So over the lockdown over here in the UK, we um we had to kind of come up with ways to keep our to keep ourselves entertained and creative. And so we had to move away from from shooting people in the photographic sense. Um, and so we decided it'd be fun to shoot cars. And so we we taught ourselves uh, how to light paint nice. cars. Nice. And it's a, it's a very similar kind of process in the sense that you strobe different areas of the car and then,
2: you know, composite it together. And that's been super fun, is not it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been incredible. It's just a different way of thinking, a different way of working.
1: It is, it's a mindset. And, and when I tell people, and I teach, well, you know, teach it, it's a, it's a mindset of, you kind of have to, really pre-visualize what you want at the end. Then you right. have to make all the steps. So if you miss one, it doesn't work. So you have to really sort of like, okay, I mean, I'm a wing it kind of guy anyway. So I have to be a little more, oh, I don't know, I guess, disciplined in that you think, okay, I got to get a highlight over here. I'm going to shoot this. little will strobe the background here, do this, this, this. this and then then later you got to put all the parts together. And if, if, you, if you miss something uh, or if you, you bump the camera, I was doing a uh, the dramatic portrait masterclass and I said, okay, I'm on film, you know, they're filming me and I'm like, okay, whatever you do. Don't bang the camera, and I had sandbagged it, and you know yeah. everything. And then I'm like moving, you know, lights and stuff. And then I'm like, okay. And then what I do, I back right into the camera and yeah. I move it, so I could fi- I fixed it. But um, it's possible because you can auto align things. But um, it's it is kind of a little nerve wracking when you're when you're uh, you know building you know 15 shots into one. Mm.
0: We had I think when we first started doing this, we had our first. <laughs> We we shot a Toyota RAV4, one of the most exciting cars in the world. Clearly, mm. which is well, it yeah. was the only the only car that I had in the backyard. But um, I think we composited it was ninety ninety photos we composited together. Yeah, to make yeah this that's, thing.
1: that's 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 yeah. a lot to screw up, right? Yeah. Um, I, 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 <laughs> yeah. I always say minimize your variables, but you know yeah. if you start getting a little bit outside the box, you got to do new things, and I love it. I I, I think yeah. it's. Um, it's really fun to explore new ideas of how to create, um, and do something different than what's typically being done. Of course, there's nothing new under the sun. They say that, you know, but, um, with, with the tools we have, there's always something that I can build on that. I've I've got this knowledge here Then I build it on top of this knowledge and then I go to the next knowledge. And then one day I end up in the grave.
0: And you know, the the thing, the thing is that We were kind of forced to do this because of the pandemic, you know, because we couldn't carry on doing the things that we were ordinarily doing, which was, you know, shooting people. Um, And because initially back in March or April uh, in the UK, we went into a total national lockdown. So, you know, there was no human contact allowed and whatever. And so we figured, you know, we're going to have to do something. Like we're going to have to carry on making photography somehow. And so we decided to shoot cars. And so we went from... From shooting our cars to like literally friends' cars. Then we ended up, at some point, we ended up shooting Ferraris. And in our last projects, was a, uh, our last project was a street cleaning machine.
1: Oh, God. I've <laughs> oh, forgot, forgotten
0: about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you saved
1: the best for last. I mean, going from a Ferrari to a street sweeper. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Um,
0: well, the best photo of a, of a street sweeper you've ever seen, though. <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> it's it's, look awesome.
0: yeah, it's right. almost as expensive as a Ferrari. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh. Incredible, that's true.
1: Nuts. That's true. Um, well, very cool. No, I, I think it's fun. I, I love trying new things. I, you know, I think that photography is is a great arena. Um, you know, you say it's an artistic, you know, process. So mm-hmm. you you know you get to fulfill the artist side of you. It's a technical process, so you get to have that that part of you. And then you get all this cool equipment. Yeah. So that's pretty pretty amazing. And then you know, if you get the opportunity to put like really fun subjects in front of you from an old you know craggy cowboy to a beautiful model i mean there's 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 like um uh there's no end to where you could take this and go and do something um you can photograph cactus here in arizona i strobe cactus uh did a whole series of that um you know there's 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 a i always say just throw a rock and you'll hit something that will be a great subject well be careful that you don't hit someone in the head but it's it's it, to me, it's so much fun to, uh, I, I'm, I would be an explorer if, if 100 years ago, 200 years ago. Um, it's a way to explore. And uh, so I think it's, it's a, I mean, I picked the right thing for me. I love it.
0: It's also, you know, I think what's great is, is that through the advancement of technology, for example, there's always like new things that you can explore, you know, things that, that just weren't possible only a few years ago. You know, I found this when uh, when I first got into I got into professional photography um, through shooting concerts because I I studied music and I was a, a session musician for a very long time and then eventually I just basically stepped off the stage and started shooting the things that I was used to you know um, on the stage and so I got into into photography that way but you know looking at uh, you know just looking at concert photography from 40, 50 years ago, you very quickly realized how much technology has come on. You know, and how, how sensors and digital photography allow us to to create imagery under those conditions that just wasn't possible only a few decades ago. And that's, you know, it's really amazing.
3: Mm.
1: Yeah. It's um, it's uh, expanded our ability to um, create. And I think that's the, that's the key of it all. People say... Um, but well, you know, we we look at traditional. We 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 say, wh- you know, what's traditional photography? So, or let's just say, how do we define photography? That's that's one of the hardest things to do. And there's a danger in define trying to define photography. And uh, it, it's kind of um, it's kind of like if I make a definition of what photography is, there's going to be a group of people that fall to my left of that definition and there's going to be a group of people fall to my right of that definition uh and so because um you you know even ansel adams when he was photographing his his grand black and white landscapes he was he was doing radical stuff for the time people were like whoa um and 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 you know he got a lot of grief in early early days and he even said that his landscapes were a world of of you know, illusion fantasy is, I mean, it's a, I mean, first of all, it's black and white. Second of all, he's making a skies pure black. I mean, we don't, we don't see, I mean, we can get it. If you climb Mount Everest, you'll see a pretty deep blue. I was up on uh, Mount uh, hood outside of of, uh, Portland. I think I was up at, well, I was also in, in, in uh, Peru, about 17,000 feet. You get Mm -hmm. up there, that sky is really dark. It's really, really pretty. Um, But but for the most part, he was creating an, uh, you know, an emotional dr- drama in his landscapes, and he was criticized by that by the traditional approach. Well, then his work became traditional approach. When I was studying photography, we all wanted to be like Ansel Adams, and then, sure. and then you know we go and move the, the 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 goalpost or or the definition of photography. Now it's not film; it's digital, mm-hmm. or you can still shoot film if you want, but. Um, I, I got a lot of grief doing composites and people say, well, that's not photography. And I said, well, why is it not photography? And they say, well, cause you're manipulating, you know, you're taking two different f- pictures and putting them together and blah, blah, blah. And it took me a long time to, um, well a year or so of, of trying to defend hmm. my position of, uh, composites. Um, cause they were so new at the time. Um, and then I realized that really I was, uh, I had a losing battle because uh, I had to get, really get into it, right, with people on the internet or, or in person. Even my best friends were like, Joel, what are you doing? You're not a photographer anymore. And then I realized that um, I, was a, I was an artist with a camera,
2: hmm. with a set I of think, tools, Photoshop. I think if you get and, that many people disagreeing with you and upset with you about doing something that they haven't seen before, you're on the right track. Most well, it
1: is. It is true because it's the trendsetters that usually get the most attention. Yeah, and I always say, don't get, don't set a trend just to get attention. Set a trend to do fulfill your vision as an artist. Exactly. But yeah. in stepping out of the box a little bit, you do get, um, and you do go down a path that maybe a lot of people uh, haven't done yet. And so, um, I'm I'm always willing to take the heat. And my wife answers. Most of my social media stuff, and of course, I get shredded uh, all the time, just about every day. Tell someone says I suck, and then you know, there's a whole group that say you're amazing, right? But there's always someone that says you're, you know, you're off, you're, you're, you're terrible, whatever. Um, You know, keep your day job, kind of thing. But um, I'm willing to take the hit. I actually like, I like it when I get. um, Well, I wouldn't say you know, you know, if someone says. I'm bald. That kind of hurts, you know, because I'm very self-conscious about that. Just, <laughs> just kidding. But uh, <laughs> you know, they attack me personally. Um, but no, I like the idea of of ruffling ruffling the feathers a little bit, and I'm willing to take the heat. So I'm willing to take the risk of of stepping out. And a lot of photographers are not. They're just so nervous about about getting criticized. Hmm. And I think you have to have a a little bit of a thick skin um, mm-hmm. or I don't know if it's so much thick skin, it's more of just understanding the real world and how it works that if you try to please everyone, you'll please no one. So, mm-hmm. um, and if I, if I, if I try to please myself, that's number one. And I say that, and I'm a selfish person. I mean, we're all selfish to some degree, but I'm not mm-hmm. saying that, you know, I'm, I'm, it's all about me. It's, it's what I'm saying is that as an artist, I have to get to my end result. And if I don't get to my end result, then what am I doing? I'm just copying other people or I'm spinning like a dog chasing its tail. So yeah. I have an end result I want to get to. Um, I'm willing to take that risk. I step out. Maybe I fumble a little bit and people uh, you know, don't, don't agree with what I'm doing. But eventually, I always say that if you take anything and you refine it enough, mm. you will get good at it and you'll get a following and you'll make a mark
0: yeah you just have to believe in in what you're doing you do right yeah you know and um and just carry on with it Mm -hmm. regardless the same thing happens with
1: music look go to uh, all those shows like American Idol and X Factor whatever those all those shows and you know someone gets up there and they have a great voice and they have everything but they don't have any they don't have a hook to hang their hat on they're just copying somebody else's so you know what do they say be original be yourself Yeah. yeah
2: You know, my favorite type of um, criticism on usually on places like YouTube and you know, well, any of the social really. But on YouTube, I see it a lot is those that are having a go about what someone's doing, but smokescreen it in all this technical jargon and all these <laughs> random techie words that they think that whatever they can cram in there to cover up the fact that actually they don't have a point whatsoever. <laughs> They're my favorites. They're Man. my favorite. Yeah,
1: well, it, because as, as an instructor and you, and if you've taught anything, you know, this to be true. Um, uh, even as your development as a photographer, it's a lot easier to learn technical stuff than to be a creative person. Mm-hmm. The, e- the technical yeah. comes a lot easier, right? You can use terms and, you know, F stop shutter speeds and all that. When it comes to the creative process, it's a lot harder to find that. And, so as an instructor, um, I, I could get away really easily with building a thick note, uh, you know, a handout and saying to everyone, here's all the technical information you need to know, and then walk away, right? And, and just say, you know, learn this. And that's how a lot of the instructors I had growing uh, going through college uh, were very technical. And it was easy. You just drop off the the, the the notes, you know, or whatever it is and say, you know, learn this, read this, you know, and... But when it comes to really teaching someone how to see, how to have a vision, that's a lot harder. And so as an instructor, I spend a lot of time trying to teach people uh, how to be, um, you know, how to have a signature, a creative voice, uh, those kind of things. And it's kind of a a little bit more like it's kind of a, you know, nebulous thing. And it's um, not as easy to define. So there are people that want the note you know, the the handout with 32 pages of technical information on lighting, I can teach you how to light uh, very quickly from an intuition perspective. Mm. It'll take me weeks, months to teach you how to do it technically. Mm. But I can teach it really quick. So when I go and do my lighting, people are just, they're dumbfounded. They can't believe how simple it is because they've been taught the technical side of things. Fractions uh ratios you know all these things and um i i for years i haven't i haven't touched a flash meter and uh there are photographers one is frank Dorov. he we we have his little thing going on me and frank he's a he's a hoot and you know he he's really into his flash meter i i like i lost mine broke 35 40 years ago and i haven't replaced it yeah (laughs) and we get into a little bit of a a little bit of a battle on that but I mean, to each his own, I mean, he, you know, he's got as a way to approach things, but, and that's fine. But I, I'm much more of an intuition, you know, how does it look? Does it feel right? Is it working? Well, I don't care what the exposure is. If it doesn't work, if it's a correct, I always say, what is a correct exposure? Does anybody know? Well, I can take a gray card, stick it in my scene and photograph it. And I have to make that exactly 50% gray I can do that, but does that make an exciting picture? No. It's very very
0: similar to music. Um, The way I always kind of compare it to music is uh, when you try and teach somebody how to improvise. Right. Because you can teach somebody the scales, you know, and the chords and um, which scales to use in which context. But A, you always have options when it comes to scales. And secondly, you know, improvisation is not just rattling down the scales so it's basically making music out of that it. that's it's just as nebulous mm-hmm. you know as uh as, as teaching some somebody
1: um, about now, you remember when carlos santana came out with the uh, supernatural album it was album of the year mm-hmm. or whatever and and i'm a guitar player and i listened to him and 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 you, you think about carlos santana um and you know there's some great guitar players out there but mm-hmm. carlos santana santana what he did is is um his 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 guitar is you, you say where's the lead solo it's throughout the whole song, yeah, mm-hmm. the whole song yeah. and so that's kind of strange okay so because usually you, you know you're singing your verse chorus, chorus and all of a sudden there's a the lead you know guitars mm-hmm. part you know but he and, and then the other thing that he does and a lot of a lot of guitarists do is you know you you you've got your timing right so you're 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 supposed to be on track with your timing but a good musician will between you know uh, they'll slow it down and then speed up and catch up to the timing right it's like this arc you know this or whatever the slow and then come back and yeah. then you end right on on timing yeah. and that's that's a good musician jazz musicians do that too it's where you you're you're mixing it up emotionally to where the 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 listener is sucked in right mm. And in some ways, you think a, a good musician is there, but you don't really know they're there, right? Mm-hmm. They're filling in something that that's perfect, but it's not overpowering. And the same thing with photography is that you're doing something that that is maybe extremely important to the photograph, but it's so subtle that it's, mm-hmm. unless you really know it's there, you don't you don't to, what to look for, you don't know it's there. And so, um, when you look at my photographs, they're very, they're, 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 I say they're worked, they're contrived. I mean, they're, they're, they're polished, but what I also want to do is polish it to where then it doesn't look like it's polished. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah. It's a
1: hard thing to do, but, um, and maybe I'm not succeeding. I don't know, but I feel like, you know, um, it's, it's that, um, you know, it's like a, it's a, what does it call it? Oh. Order in a world of chaos.
0: Right. You don't know, have a funny story about Carlos Santana. I, I once got knocked out unconscious by one of Carlos Santana's Les Pauls. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I, that's a that's a good one.
0: Yes, yeah, so I did uh, a I did a um, I recorded an album in the south of Germany um, uh, for a week, uh, and and th- those sessions ran like way through the night, and I think it was like four o'clock in the morning or something. And I was I was recording a guitar solo on one of the tracks, and the producer just. Um, left the, uh, the guitar solo progression on a loop and he basically just went, well, just, you know, just solo over, we'll cut it together later. Okay, fine. And, you know, it was four o'clock in the morning. I was tired as heck. And so I was sitting on a stool, you know, with this Les Paul that had been hired in, um, and it used to be Carlos Santana's, um, Les Paul. And so, you know, I'm playing this thing and I'm, I'm improvising and I'm, I'm playing. And there's this thing, you know, when you get so tired that you just fall asleep like for a split second, right? And that's exactly what happened. And basically, I just fell asleep for a split second, let go of the guitar, and Les Pauls are bottom-heavy. So it swung around, and the machine heads, the tuners, hit me in the temple <laughs> at full whack. And the next thing I know was I was literally on the floor, I could literally see stars, and I was, I was I had the biggest headache ever. It completely knocked me out. And the funny thing was, like on the original recording, you can hear all of that happening.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, maybe that's a new way of recording now. Just run it, knock yourself out. And then maybe that new term, knock yourself out, you took it literally.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but I can can definitely, I could put that as one thing to put on my resume. I got knocked out by Carlos Santana's guitar.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, um, music is a a great uh, analogy to look to uh, to explain uh, photography. Mm. And I always say that you know, I can take a G chord and I can play that and write a really nice country music song. Yeah. You move your finger, just one finger, and you can go to G minor
3: mm.
1: or G minor seventh. Right. Those are those are different moods that create yeah. uh, uh, to your to your listener. Right. So photor- photography is the same way. Is I can take a light and move it six inches and I can change the mood that drastic that drastically and Mm -hmm. to 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 make a more pleasing photograph so it is um and and there may be other analogies out there that you can use um i can take if you're an accountant i can take and add one zero extra and become a lot more wealthy (laughs) that's very true Very creative you know just (laughs) add a zero um but um Uh, You know, but anyways, music is a great analogy and I like to use music. I love, I love music. I haven't touched my guitar in ages, but um, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a creative outlet. Um, The one thing that I liked about when I started playing and then getting in a band and singing and writing my songs and everything is that it was a creative outlet. Yeah, for sure. And that's what photography is. It's a creative outlet. So is writing or it's a creative outlet. Um, If I, if I, if I did, You know, anything in life, if I could say that I can do something, step back and say, I did that. That's my signature. Whether it's restoring an old car or, you know, whatever, Um, taking a chainsaw and creating a sculpture out of a chainsaw and a piece of wood, you know, I don't know. It's something where you can stand back and say, that's mine.
0: And it's, mm-hmm. the, fun, the fun thing for me is always that, you, you know, you end up making something, you create something out of nothing. Like, you know, no matter whether you write a piece of music or, uh, or you create a photograph or you make, you know, a video or whatever it is, there was nothing there before. Or maybe it was just, you know, a, a tree trunk and a bunch of tools. And then, and then you, you put some energy into it and some thoughts some creativity, and then you come out with something that didn't exist before. And that's always a, that's the thing that fascinates me the most is like that, you know, literally out of thin air. You just end up creating these, these things that
2: are incredible. Absolutely. What we we
1: have, what we have, we didn't have that. I mean, you know, people say, well, art, art's not that important. Well, well, it is actually. And, and you look at um, even Steve jobs, you know, with with Apple when he was building computers, he was looking at it from a different perspective and as a, uh, you know, a human interacting with a piece of machine but that does something that allows you to go and create and you know do things so yeah i i think it's an amazing thing and i i i know that a lot of people are frustrated in life because they don't have an outlet to create i think that you know i I hear people are depressed and i think why are you depressed go go do something build something create something
3: yeah
1: you know and um so um yeah.
0: That was one of the opportunities really throughout the pandemic, I feel, um, was that, you know, although you know, things were slowing down and, you know, and um and you know, and things were very different, but it, it did give us an opportunity to be creative in other ways. You know, it was definitely the case. Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. And I think um that this is why people are so um find criticism so difficult to take in the world of photography that they have created that that piece of art, that something from from nothing, if you like. Um, but if you take musicians, they're just as sensitive about what For, they write, and they find answer. it very difficult to put it out there. That's what I find. I find <clears throat> always found, you know, learn, when I was learning how to be a musician, learning to play guitar and whatnot, mm. that the hardest part was putting my stuff there and say, hey, this is what I produced. I've mm. done this. But once you've done that a few times, you start not caring <laughs> yeah, about what people about. think. Because you <laughs> care it. more about what you think about yeah. what you've produced. And yes, it's worth listening to certain comments here and there from people who are already very, very good at what they do, uh, to help, you know, refine and improve upon how you create. Sure. But otherwise, it gives a Insert four-letter word here. What, you, uh, what other people think?
0: Just yeah, create you, what you're going to create. You know, the thing—the thing, the thing is—I always think like if I give it 100 and I, I really make sure that, as far as I can see it, you know, I've given it my best, then I have nothing to feel guilty about. In, in a way, yeah. you know, if somebody else comes along and says like, you know what, if you used a different focal length for this, or, or changed this, or changed that, or did this different, maybe you could have had a, a better result, or you could have improved on this and that, the other. That's perfectly cool. I'm super happy. It's great, great yeah. feedback. I'll Sweet. give it a go. Totally. You know, <laughs> it's always space for learning. Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't know, it's, 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 actually, we need we need criticism. Mm. Well, okay. So you can't receive praise without also uh, accepting criticism, right? Yeah. Because if you just get praise then it's the emperor has no clothes or what's the way you're, you're up. I, I call it the Michael Jackson syndrome where nobody says, Michael, you're looking like a nutcase. You know, mm. no one has the the, the guts to say <laughs> you're, you're crazy. And so we need criticism to balance this out. And we also need criticism because what happens is it, you have to, you have to fight uh, to get uh, to, to, uh, a polished end result. Right, you have to fight to get there. You have to practice. You have to get out. You have to get up early in the morning. You have to go, and you have to endure the hardships of it. And then, when when you um, uh, receive criticism, uh, if you if you if you're not solid, if you're not on a solid foundation, you get knocked off really quick, mm-hmm. right? So so we need to learn how to accept. Well, get up in the morning, right? endure the hardships to get the, you know, load my gear, carry all that stuff, you know, uh, all the things we have to do. And that challenge has to come to give us a really good end result. So if you avoid criticism, then you never get the polished end result because right. we need that. Um, I always say that until like when I, I, I teach a lot on marketing, Um, I've I've built a whole career uh, as an advertising photographer. I was told I could never do it. My professors, my dad, everyone said, you'll never make a living with your camera. And I had to learn how to exert myself in the marketplace. It's brutal, brutal, because you're going to get rejected. Someone's going to say, no, I'm not interested in you. And um, so you got to pick it up, keep doing it, keep up. And so um, I tell about that the first official portfolio showing ever had. I was right out of college. I was with a buddy in Denver, Colorado, I built my portfolio where I went, got a a, my, uh, a showing with this art director, creative director. And he looked at four of my boards and he basically told me to get out of photography. And <laughs> I, I went back to my studio. Of course, I, I was distraught and mm. um, my, my studio mate um, rescued me. Um, and he said, cause I said, I'm quit. I'm going back to Tucson because I grew up in Tucson. So I was going to go back to Tucson. My dad was a fireman. He said, Joel, become a fireman. You don't, an artist you'll never make make anything with an artist that's a pipe dream and um all that came back to me is that my dad was correct um i can't make a living as a photographer it's too difficult all those things and my friend said to me you're gonna let one person steal your dream and i said yes
3: Hmm.
1: i i was so to the end of myself um and he kept saying you let one person steal your dream and, and i and i and he and he talked me into to just not leaving denver but sticking it out and something happened at that moment that is is uh, absolutely priceless and and you can't there's no college i don't care how rich your parents are hmm. nobody can pay or uh do this and that is i had to make a decision was i willing to be rejected and chase my dream
3: mm.
1: once i said yes the road was wide open from there yeah. once i mm. said okay i'll go to that art director or that creative director or that client get the door slammed in my face and i'll just keep going because it doesn't matter I, i'm going to happen i know it's going to happen i'm going to accept it i'm just going to keep going once that happened to me mm. i always say if you can't if you haven't been brought to tears from a rejection you have not hit the real world And you will never end up at the top.
0: Who said that? Uh, Who who said, um, get me 99 no's for every yes?
2: Do you know who said that? I'm not sure. Yeah. That was me. Great. I
1: I always say 99, you can get 99 praises, but one one rejection when you go to bed at night. What do you remember? You remember the one rejection, the one critique. And you get distraught over one person who hates you and 99 people can love you and you still can't get over that one person
3: yeah Mm -hmm.
1: that's human nature so we're all human and that's the one thing that's interesting about this whole journey i've had for the last 40 years Mm -hmm. is uh understanding human behavior is a thousand times more important than understanding f-stops and shutter speeds yeah uh because i've had to navigate in a in a a dog eat dog world and um photography is easy Compared to navigating in a dog-eat-dog world, mm. um, so so you have to go out and learn how to how to navigate in the marketplace and to be successful. And um, I could write a book on it. Maybe I will someday. But the point is, is I, I've learned the hard way. It didn't come easy for me. It mm. didn't come easy. No, nobody handed me. I mean, I got some uh, bumps here and there. You know, uh, uh, some you know, like my, my my friend. Is, rescuing me when I was wanting to quit but I'm saying mm. I had to go through that journey on my own I couldn't you know I couldn't pay someone to get me past the hump mm. I had I had to get past the hump so people say why don't you get a rep so you never have to make a cold car never never have to never have to knock on an art director's door I say mm. well how are you going to get a rep who's going to rep you mm. you got to still got to make a phone call <laughs> Yeah. To it's you know, you, advice. You, you're gonna get rejected by reps i mean you know you think just going up to a rep a really good rep they're gonna say hey i'm a photographer i want you to rep me they're gonna go let me see your work terrible
2: yeah Next. <laughs> it's you know, such good advice you know yeah. you, you say now, you know that that moment where you could have jacked it all in and go you know what? i'm out i'm done but you you know you spoke to your friend and You know, you you talk through what you talk through and you said, yes, that's a really liberating moment. It opens up all sorts of all sorts of possibilities for you mentally, you know, and I I go through I go through that. And I I think everybody out there who hasn't yet been through that needs to go through that, as you say, Mm. because as soon as you do your 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 brain just totally switches on to something in in a different way. It's very difficult to describe. Mm. Very, very difficult to describe. But yeah, it's
1: what you're doing is you're loosening the shackles that are hanging you down one by one, right? Or you got this backpack with all these bricks and you take one brick out at a time, right? And the burden becomes lighter and lighter and lighter. And eventually you're dancing around going, having a good time. And people go, how did that happen? Well, one brick at a time, right? One shackle at a time I had to let go. And so Mm. um, I say, so you're driving down the road, right? And you look over and you see this billboard and it's like, wow, what a cool picture, well, a photographer took that. Yeah, yeah. Well, how did the photographer get there? How did the photographer get a picture with a, a billboard with his picture on it or her picture on it? Well, there's a path. Hmm. Find that path.
0: Yeah. And there's always a path because somebody's got there before. That's right. So you know. I'm
1: saying someone's yeah. done it. Someone's made a movie. Someone's made an album. Yeah. Someone's had a number one hit song, right? Is okay. So if someone's done it, I can do it too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I know yeah. that when you first started out in, in photography, um, you were actually, you were sort of into landscapes, right?
1: Yeah. All landscape photography. Oh, is yeah.
0: It, yeah. And then, and then eventually you sort of decided that um, advertising photography was going to be um, your, you know, your, your goal. How yeah, did you, w- like, what was your path?
1: Well, it was kind of interesting because I wanted to be a photographer. Okay. So that's number one. I didn't know landscape. I mean, I mean, I, I wasn't really a people person back in college. I mean, I guess I say a people person. I was pretty shy. So the idea of going up to a subject and saying, hey, excuse me, I'm a photographer. I'd like to take your portrait. That would have been th- the furthest thing I could have done, right? So, and I remember people that I'd watch do that. I'm like, wow, now that's pretty brave to do that. But um, a lot of it was out of survival because, you know, I got into... Um, you know, my, my buddy and I went to Denver, we had a studio and I was following him. Right. So, and, and he went to art center, a very prestigious, uh, art photography college here in, in uh, the States in Pasadena, very expensive and out of my price range. I could have never done that. Um, so he had a little bit better of a vision and a plan than I did. I didn't know what an art director was, a creative director. I didn't know ad agencies, creative direct, uh, or, uh, Graphic design studios. I didn't know any of that stuff. Client direct. I you, I pick up a magazine. I could say, oh, a magazine. And I'd look at all the pictures. I didn't know there was editorial content. And then there was ad content. I didn't understand the difference between all that. Anyways, so I'm fumbling along. And first thing I thought, well, I can shoot architecture because I was a four by five guy, large format guy. Hmm. So I started doing architecture work. And then... um. I noticed one of the uh marketing directors said do you ever do portraits because we need some portraits of our architects okay so i go to my friend hey how do i do this you'll get a softbox, just stick it off you know up 45 degrees and shoot it and and that started me doing uh headshots and then it just i mean when i say it snowballed it just it's just like boom 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 and then i started strobing outdoors which nobody was doing um, you needed a generator, mm. um, and then these battery packs started coming. Anyways, it just started to happen. Next thing I know, I'm, I'm a portrait photographer. It just, it was, um, it, it was a challenge. It was like, okay, I don't know if I could do this, but I'm gonna try. And then I fell in love with it. And then mm. you know, it's like I always say that a face is like a landscape. I mean, it's it's you're trying to get something to look incredible. And you got all these tools, and you know you build this drama and this, you know, you want people to look at your photograph and stop and go, how they do, how do you do, how who, how, that's amazing, right? Mm-hmm. And so it just fell into the the landscape or the uh, the portrait thing, and and you look at my composites, it's very much driven by two parts: the portrait in a studio and then the background, which is kind of like a landscape, and I'm putting those two together so that that. Mm-hmm. That uh, I think the landscape, uh, you know, skill set that I learned early on paid off big time when I started doing composites.
0: Yeah, that's, I was going to say that that's um, that's very uh, apparent in your in your composites. It's it's literally like you know a landscape with a subject in it. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it was it was funny this actually because we learned this uh, through um, shooting cars or through light light painting cars because at first. Uh, we were really just focusing on the car. We wanted to make the car look good, and then um, very quickly we realized that there was really a, there was a problem with the background. It never looked good. The car itself looked great, but the background always looked, you know, kind of crappy. And then eventually we spoke to um, an automotive photographer, and he just said, uh, "You just imagine it to be a landscape photograph with a car in it." There you go. And as soon as that, as soon as we heard that, that just it, the penny just dropped, you know, and it was like a no-brainer is like how could we have missed that you know it's so obvious when when you when you really think about it um and so we probably spend more time scouting locations now which is actually the hardest part which is the hardest part yeah much harder <laughs> yes. than, than getting a car
1: oh by far by far yeah. um i can photograph a subject i can get that subject easily but they'll put them in the right spot so i say get it, get the subject in the right spot at the right time in the right location is a challenge right mm. um if you're doing it on set, right? If you're yeah. doing two parts, that 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 speeds it up, and that's why composites put me on the map because I was cranking them out like crazy because I just had the formula down, and uh, doing dramatic lighting with the with the you know a kind of a grungy background kind of thing. But um, so you, you know, going back to music for a second, I'll, I'll I'll I think this is the way I think, and you guys will probably agree to this is that you know, if, if I take your playlist of your best songs that you have on your iPhone or whatever it is that, you know, your playlist and, and that's not going to match up to my playlist, right? We're going to have a different playlist. Everyone has a different playlist. And there are some artists that you have, like I love Ray Lamontagne, uh, the raspy voice singer songwriter. (laughs) And I, I love singer songwriters. I love someone that, that just because if someone takes another person's song and sings it, makes it great, doesn't? I don't. It, it's not. It's not a bad thing. But I really love a singer songwriter because they they're doing two things uh, really well. And um, I love a singer songwriter that can do it with a guitar solo. Right? A band is great. I love it. I love the band. But and most artists, you you hear them solo, you're like, Ooh, that's not very good. Then you hear an artist that does it solo, and you're like. Yeah. Oh my goodness. They sound as good or better, even solo. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you see that, but anyways, when you have a, a song or a songwriter that you love, when you go and you let's say driving on a road trip, or you are sitting, creating retouching and you put on the music, it soothes you, right? It it's like, Oh man, that's just sounds so good. And you're like it, But then if you put on a a singer songwriter or a a band or whatever, it's not the band that you like. Maybe it's your friends brought his playlist and you're like, oh, man, that's just not it's not really moving me. You know, it's like um, and so that's because we have likes and dislikes and we have built up something that we emotionally are drawn to. Maybe it brings back a memory, um, mm-hmm. you know. Like I love the '70s music still. You know, I put it on, and it's like back when I was, you know, in high school, and you know, I got my license, and I'm driving for the first time. Those kind of memories are brought back up, right? So, so music does that. It's a, an incredible, powerful, uh, you know, uh, emotional uh, uh, that we have to stir us. Well, a photograph. Has the same power, right? Or maybe not as much. I don't know. But it's it's got a power to move people, to to win people over, to suck them in, to say, "Ooh, I'm going to pay, you know, a lot of money to buy that photograph and hang it in my living room, right?" And I'll walk past it every day and go, "Wow, that's a Richard Avedon, you know, print or whatever it is." And and so when I create an image, I am. I'm working very hard, just as I would be as a musician, to create an image that's going to stir someone's emotion. It can't stir everyone's emotion, but I can stir someone's emotion to go, I want that. So I I give the analogy. Now, Ray LaMontagne has been around a while now, but back when early days, uh, I say early, but let's say eight years ago, I'd be on stage and I would say, how many people in here know Ray LaMontagne? And people go, like out of a hundred, maybe three or four people raise their hand. And I'd say, how many people know Britney Spears? Everybody raises their hand. (laughs) And I go, how many Britney Spears songs do you think I have in my playlist? Zero. How many Ray LaMontagne's? I got every album he owns, right? Mm. But nobody knows him, right? So Ray LaMontagne doesn't have the same audience and reach that Britney Spears has, but he's got an audience and a very loyal audience and and so and he makes a pretty decent living with a small segment of the population so here's a real insight to being very successful at least financially and as an artist is that you don't have to win over the whole world you only have to win win over a small segment of people and you make a very good living and so um i think when i started out as most of us do, we want to create pictures that everybody likes. Everyone's going, oh my God, that's incredible. It's not going to happen. It's very rare. So you have to go and win over a small segment. And so I always say, do what you do, do it really well, win over a small segment. And then of course, find a way to of course, make a living with that, with that segment. And so when I, when I was doing my real edgy, edgy composite black or um, composites, portraits, Um, when I first started doing them, a lot of my colleagues and friends said, Joel, you're going to lose your clients, man. This stuff's too, too edgy. It's not going to happen. I was doing pharmaceutical ad campaigns and whatever Pfizer and all these, you know, and then testimonials for, for, for a company shooting real people. But, you know, and so I was, I was, I had my groove, right. But then I started doing these edgy composites and people go, no one's going to, no one's going to hire you for that. And I, and I said to a good friend of mine, I said, all I need is a couple art directors a year to fall in love with my work. That's it. And I did. And I started making more money than I ever made in my life. Mm. And so, again, my mindset was to win over a small segment and do it really well. And the other thing that's interesting about the marketplace is if you if you take let's say a group of photographers and you take and say you have like in Denver, there was Hewlett Packard. There was, there was companies that were located around Denver, big companies. And if you said, I want to make a living with my camera. Okay. You would go in your mind. You would think, I'm going to go and find out what Hewlett Packard does with their photo- I mean, photography needs. What's What does Hewlett-Packard want? And that makes sense, right? So you go to the past images of Hewlett-Packard or whatever company you're, you're looking for, and you go, okay, oh, they like this style. So you go out and create a body of work based on that style. Well, every other photographer, commercial photographer in town is doing the exact same thing.
3: Mm.
1: So all of a sudden, you send your work over and the, and the art director goes, oh. Okay, next. And it's it's nothing new under the sun, right? So what I did after about, I would say, 15 years, 10, 15 years of shooting, I flipped it to where I said, I'm going to only create images I want. And I'm going to put them in the marketplace. Joel Grimes, the signature brand, mm-hmm. Joel Grimes. And then... I'll wait for the phone to ring well i had i still knocked on doors but i'm saying i wait for that art director to go boring 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 oh joel grimes look at this stuff oh my gosh how can we use this guy this is something fresh new different okay call this guy up now here's what it was a mir- the miracle i went from making the same type of day rate as every other photographer in town to probably quadrupling my day rate overnight doing my own thing yeah
3: because
1: now i was the only photographer in town doing that look so the art director says we want this it's going to cost you i had room to increase my day rate because i wasn't competing against 30 other photographers in town or 100 Mm. or whatever so it's a weird thing the marketplace is a weird thing it's almost like everything that you think the marketplace is flip it upside down that's how it works
2: what was it back then that you know, after 10, 15 years, as you say, made you think, no, suck this. I'm going to go about it my way and try and uh, get my clients through the work that I want to do, not trying to copy what businesses are wanting. What was it that made you think that's actually how I need to play this?
1: Because I'm an artist to the very core and I want to do my thing. At some point, I want to do pictures that, you know, you do a a cover for a magazine, and then pff, it's in the trash can. You do a, an annual report. You spend six weeks in South America, and it's, like, incredible. But then pff, it goes in the trash can. I just wanted to do something that was a little more long-lasting, long, long lasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, gallery shows, things. I did a, a copy table book, things like I just wanted to be an artist and not mm-hmm. have it just, uh, you know, just a, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with selling your soul to the devil <laughs> 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 and, making a, and making a living, right? No, but I'm saying, you got to make a living. But at some point, I made the living, but now I felt kind of like I was selling out a little bit. And I wanted to take it to the next level, is to make images for me. Mm. And it turned out that it made a better living. So it's a, its just a weird thing. Mm. Wow. You ever sold yourself?
2: Many times. <laughs> <laughs> Many times. I don't to Wow. <laughs>
0: Every crossroad you can possibly imagine, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, you know, like, I mean, it's not to dissimilar, again, you know, music is is a really good comparison for that because um, you can either, you know, go as commercial as you can possibly can or you just do your own thing and then, you know, put it in yeah. front of people. Some people like it, some people don't. And it's it's all good, you know,
2: that's the thing. Is it the third album band's sell out on? I can't remember now. Or is it the fourth? Third album? Well, it's usually a third album because, Yeah. yeah. You know, you spend you
0: spend seven years writing your first album, yeah. And that gets yes. you know. Then you tour it to the death. Yeah. Uh, the second album is usually the leftover songs that you'd written before you released the first album that didn't make it on the first album, and then you've run out of material by the time the third album comes around. And you could have write new stuff, and that's where you go. And you got to write uh-oh. it quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Well,
1: there and there's another trap that a lot of us fall into, which uh, my wife will attest to the fact that one of the things that I do is I try not to get comfortable. Mm. And so I'll uproot myself or I'll do something that, that forces me to be a little bit um, out of my comfort zone. So a lot of musicians, they put out a first album, it's a a success. And then all of a sudden they're driving Ferraris and, you know, Lear jets and whatever. And then that edge, they lose that edge of writing and fighting and clawing their way to success and then they all crumble and football players do that too you know sport figures do that too they get they get drafted and they get all that money and all of a sudden they just their life goes to hell it because um you know they don't have to they think in their mind they don't have to work as hard they've got mm-hmm. the success or they are there it's going to be there forever and that money is not there forever either all those you know those washed up football or, you know, sports figures that are living in uh, the slums now and they made millions and millions of dollars. How's that happen? Well, because they thought I was always going to be there. But one of the things I love to do is to uh, force myself out of my comfort zone. And I I had this saying to my wife and she doesn't like this saying very well, but I work a lot better when I'm broke.
2: Mm, Yeah. I mean,
1: I'm much more uh, innovative, hustling when I'm broke i had no choice
2: yeah. you, you know i um I, I worked in i worked in corporate for for amazon for like 15 years and always had a side is, business is the, right first, is this the first time
3: you've
0: actually re- revealed who you've been working for no 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 right at the beginning
2: yeah damn amazon have to yeah. Cut this bit out. <laughs> yeah damn amazon yeah <laughs> and um for the last few years i tried to make you know have a side business and to try and build and try and work and, frankly, play it safe, you know? But it didn't work. It didn't work no matter how hard I tried because I was working full-time and I had a steady, good income coming in. And there was a moment where I kind of just sat, I was just sat there and thought, why is this not working? And it kind of hit me. It's because I don't have to work hard at it. That's right. I don't need to because... I'm guaranteed over here where actually I want to work to be guaranteed over here. And I couldn't do that while I was still working there. I, I don't like change at the best of times. I struggle with it. Got better with it as I got older and where, you know, you put into more situations mm. where things are different and it's not how you expect it to be or want it to be. And you have to work hard to feel good in that situation. And I've got much, be- much better at that. But it was only once I left, eventually left, that things started to happen. Funny that, because I had no income. I had to, I had to, you got to gotta, you gotta
1: eat, right? Yeah. It's that rat like cunning ability where you got to find that piece of cheese, man. Yeah. And you got to, you know, uh, it's, it's, I agree. I think, I think that a lot of photographers, and I've known photographers that always had a backup, right? And so Arnold Schwarzenegger gave a speech and he said, don't have Plan B, man. Plan Plan <laughs> B will kill you. Yeah, stick mm-hmm. with Plan A and say that's it, man. It's go- it's either I'm a photographer or I'm done, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I think there's some truth to that. Um, it doesn't. It's not. It doesn't seem logical because we should have a Plan B. Right. My dad used to tell me, like I said, you'll never make any money with your camera, and it's a pipe dream. And it, it didn't affect me. Like, like, I think there are some father son relationships where that would crush a son. It didn't crush me at all. It just, you know, it was like, okay, dad, whatever, you know? And, and then he'd see me starving and he'd reconfirm it. Oh yeah. You know, you keep pipe, that pipe dream, just not going to happen. And then, and then eventually I was making more money in a month than he was in a year. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then he was like, Oh, how in the world did that happen? Uh, yeah. He just didn't understand it. He still, the day he died, he didn't understand how in the heck I could make a living with my camera. Hmm.
2: That pipe just got suddenly so much
0: bigger, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, mean, I had a similar experience, you know, when uh, when I first, um, you know, just before, just before I went to college uh, to study music, um, actually. I, I grew up in the south of Germany and uh, and I moved to London. I was just about to move to London to go to music college. And uh, I remember, like, my my grandmother, who'd always supported my musical endeavors all through my childhood, you know, and all through my teens and whatever. And on the night before I was due to get in the van and drive all of my gear to London, she said to me, are you sure you want to do this? You sure you don't want to learn something proper first? (laughs) You know, my world, like, for a minute, my whole world was crushed right there and then. And then, you know, once I sort of recovered from the initial shock, oh, I'm like, no, I, there's nothing I want to do more mm-hmm. than pack all of my stuff in the back of the van yeah. and get to London and, and, and spend, you know, 12 hours a day, 14 hours a day playing guitar. That's all I wanted to do. um, And, uh, you know, and that was, it's the best thing I've ever done. And, and, you know, that also taught me, um, an important lesson because when I sort of, when I switched from, from music to photography, cause that was, photography has always been my other love. That's the other thing, the other creative outlet that I had. And, you know, um, I was, when I was a kid, I started, I started making videos. I started making movies with my old video. What was it? Video eight oh,
3: millimeter. Wow. Yeah. super
0: camera, You know, um, my granddad always done, he always made, um, movies with, um, an eight millimeter film camera at a time and so that's kind of what what um lit that flame in me so it was all about creating imagery and doing that kind of stuff my dad was like developing black and white film in the bathroom you know and all that kind of all that kind of stuff so so photography is always like the other thing but for me everything was always visual so the thing i loved about stage shows was actually the visual of the visuals of it you know i was always like really attracted to the lighting and you know how things were lit on stage and uh, and how it was all put into into place and so you know the thing that's that's attracted me to creative endeavors has always been the making of stuff it's always been the process of making and then once you know the song was written and recorded or the photo was done or the video was was made um i was already in my mind i was already already on the next thing you know i was like right okay what's the next project you know what's the next thing we're gonna do and so like for instance you're playing in a like in a covers band or like a top 40 band or something like that, that was never attractive to me because that just meant playing the same stuff all the time. I was, I was always like thinking, what is the next thing that I can make? Um, and, and that really, you know, is at the, at the base of my creative endeavor, like always. And it pushes you forward, you know, because, Mm -hmm. you know, you get good at one thing and you kind of go, okay, what's the next thing around the corner? And then, <clears throat> and at one point, actually, this is like a little admission I have to make. At one point, I looked at your imagery and I, I saw some images, some portrait images. I kind of go, I went, because I was I was thinking about uh, creating a, um, like a self-portrait for my website, for the about page sort of thing. And I was kind of thinking like, oh, okay, how am I going to do it, blah, blah, blah. And I was looking at your website and I was, there's uh, a couple of portraits of some subjects sitting at a table sort of thing. And I think, that's a, that's cool that's cool. I, I wonder if I can do something like that and I can take it like a little bit further and whatever. And, and so I did. And then something went wrong whilst I was shooting myself. Cause I had like remote controls and it was only me. There was nobody else in, in my little studio. And, you know, I had to basically remote control the shutter and everything. Something went wrong and, and it caught me cause I had, I had the, uh, the camera on a two second delay. So I hit the remote button, you know, throw away the, the remote, pose in a way and then you know and it would take the shot. And something went wrong and it basically took the shot, kind of mid pose. And the 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 photo was hilarious. It was super funny. And I looked at that and I kind of thought, wow, this is this is really, really funny. I wonder if I can shoot other people like that. And I could turn it into a really funny photo series, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: And so um and then and that just turned into like, I think it was in like 2019 or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. It just turned into this thing that I just did for fun. And it turned into uh, something I call three heads in a row because I put a thing together on Instagram and it was like, you know, it was literally, I, I made triptychs. So I kind of created three of those images per person um, or per subject. And then uh, because there's three, you know, three images in a row sort of thing on Instagram, I call three heads in a row. Um, and it turned into like a really super fun thing that I just kept doing ever since. And that goes back to one of the images that you made. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so you know well, that's good. So I didn't rip you oh. off. I kind of changed it a little bit, but
3: yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, what what I think is interesting is you know for people listening is that if they can maybe grasp the this idea that number one they're not alone in this mm-hmm. you know the journey that they're on is this very similar journey that you and we've all been on, you know, fighting our way through all these little insecurities and, you know, rejection and how to, you know, uh, brand yourself in the marketplace, all those things, um, they're not alone. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people feel like they're alone that, you know, well, Joel Grimes can do this. Well, yeah. Joel Grimes had to learn how to do that. Um, (laughs) and, and people say, you, you just naturally, you know what? No, 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 no. I had to fight and claw my way to this point. And, Um, you know, as a educator or a, I guess you'd say influencer mentor, whatever in the industry, um, I love to, uh, uh, well, number one is I hate it when people elevate me above, you know, they, they want to elevate you like you're something amazing and just from birth. Right. And I say, no, uh, you know, I, I am just like you. I'm just an average person that had to work really hard to get where I'm at. And I remember one time there was a, I was on a panel and they said, if there was a movie written about you, what would it be? What would the title or what would it you know be? And I'd say, my movie would be the guy who they said there's no way this guy can make it, and then I ended up finding a way to make it. Mm. That's that's my life story.
0: It's, you know, this is a really important lesson that I'm trying to teach my children um, virtually every day because. You know they often like they often ask me like when you know just when i'm noodling around on a guitar you know then i was like how did you get how did you get so good at playing the guitar and it's like well when i was a kid i spent 10 hours a day playing the guitar that's yeah. what i did you every know, day you know
2: that time you spend on your computer <laughs> doing nothing <laughs> well, yeah. that all that what, time or, yeah, yeah i was doing that
0: i had actually <laughs> had this right. conversation with my youngest daughter yesterday in fact just yesterday um and i said to her i, I explained to her look you know when when i went to school I had to get up at six o'clock in the morning to catch the the school bus at seven. So I get to school. I got up at five and I played the guitar for an hour before I got on the school bus. And I was practicing my scales, you know, without the guitar in my hand, you know, for the 45 minutes that I was on the bus. And when I was at school, I thought about nothing but music, you know, and when I got home, the first thing I do, I would get back on the guitar and I spent most afternoons and most evenings in the basement practicing my guitar. And that's what I did every day, yeah. you know,
2: every day, day in, day out. I'd play in my bedroom and my brother would be in the bedroom next door and I I was, I, I'd play bass and um, I'd, I'd play it acoustically, right? So mm. there was no, no sound, right? And yeah. couldn't get amps okay. with headphones in back then and all that. So I was, I was playing along. I was, doing, you know, I was well into my metal back, back then as well. Right? So some fast stuff going on. And he'd be banging Will you? Sh-? This is like one in the morning. Will yeah. you shut up? It's like oh, all right, all right, yeah. and I'll just I'll just play a little bit quiet. I'll carry on for another hour, but yeah. that's it. If yeah. you would love it, commit to well, it, and, and, and learn. you
1: almost have to have a um, obsession, mm. yeah, in a way. And and I told my son Ben, who is doing car shoots, he's doing now uh, CGI cars, mm. but he was lighting cars and doing stuff for uh, in LA, and. Um, he would goof around and you know they'd be playing video games and stuff. And I, and I, one time I, I challenged him. I said, you know, count out how many hours you play video games, put that into learning photography and you'll be a rock star yeah. because everyone else that that's your age is just sucked into the old, you know, video games uh, nonstop, you know? And um, if you just take that one flip it on itself to where you're not spending time playing video games you're going to be ahead of 99 percent of all kids out yeah. there today
0: yeah 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 but no it, you second, know, it goes it, it goes back to the whole like uh, learning how to improvise kind of thing you know it, it when when i used to teach a lot you know, I used to have students come up to me all the time and be like oh you know how come you're so good at, at improvising I'm like well because i spend a lot of time improvising He's like well i could never do that i'm like well okay so let's examine that for a minute so how much time do you spend playing the guitar and it'd say two hours a day. Okay, fine. Like out of those two hours, how much time do you spend playing your favorite songs? Right. Pretty much an hour and 50 minutes or whatever. Okay, so how much time do you spend practicing improvisation? Well, none, because I can't do it. Well, that's why you can't do it. (laughs) It's not rocket science, you know, duh.
1: Yeah, my my drawing teacher in, in college, when we first day we came in and she said, I know some of you might be intimidated with, you know, drawing. She goes, drawing just takes practice. Mm. If you draw every day, a couple hours a day, you'll be really good eventually. Yeah. It's just yeah. your hand, your eye, everything can't work. You're trying to draw and it's just not working. But eventually all that comes. Remember you guys use the Wacom tablet.
0: Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So the first time you get a Wacom tablet, you're like, <laughs>
0: that was a disaster. Oh, it's like a, <laughs> a
1: rocking yeah. ship. You know, you're trying to, you're, you know, and after a couple of days, you get pretty good. After three weeks, you know, you're like, oh, this is easy. After three months, you never even think about it. You just, yeah, it's yeah. like second nature. And that's a no different. I remember when I used to learn a chord on a guitar that was like, ah! and you're like oh, you yeah. get cramps and everything. You're like, there's no way you can do that chord, you know? Yeah. And then after, you know, a couple of weeks of doing it, you're like, oh, boom, right to it. That's yeah. just, it's just second nature. So yeah, it's the same thing with photography um it's uh, uh people ask me do i get nervous when i photograph celebrities or you know 100 million dollar athletes and i go no i go well, well why not i go because i've done it so many times yeah it's yeah. not it's not scary it's not just because i have someone that's some you know famous in front of me doesn't doesn't intimidate me because i know what i'm doing i know i can get to the end result so yeah practice yeah. practice builds confidence
2: Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's precisely what it is, isn't it? That's yeah. the way to think about it. Practice does make confidence. Yeah. Re- repetition builds confidence. And
0: also, you know, keeping keeping the practice up, that's the other thing. Because the one thing that happens, you know, um, once you get, and again, you know, it's, it's another guitar analogy. For, for those people who thought this was a photography podcast, we're talk, we talk a lot yeah. about guitars today, but whatever. Um, but, you know, once you get to... to is Frank like, Dorhoff here? Well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, him, we, should, we should form a band. Yeah, uh, Frank, you and Adam Lerner, roll guitarist. <laughs> yeah.
1: that's that'd be there. good. Frank could be my bodyguard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you ever seen him kick? He's like this high kick that he does. Oh really? Oh wow. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Right, martial arts. Yeah,
3: cool.
0: But um, I've seen him
1: play guitar though. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, well, I, I, well, it's kind of sad because I haven't played the guitar like I, I did. You know, mm. um, when I was away from uh sort of be, transition between two, we lived in Tucson and I moved to LA for mm. two years and went back and forth and then my wife came out with our youngest son and we 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 finished up in Pasadena out there uh, for a couple of years and then we went back to, to Arizona but I had a little studio and there's my guitar and for the first time in many years I started playing my guitar again because
3: mm.
1: I had downtime or I say downtime but nobody's around when you got kids running around and you're like Mm. trying to play your guitar. It's really difficult. But yeah. um, Yeah. yeah. I told my wife, if she finds a new husband, um, I'm going to now pick up my mistress, which is my guitar. (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) That's it. I mean, you know, there there are pros and cons to having kids, you know, Um, there are loads of pros, also some cons, but one of the things that I found um, for me, you know, when I, when I had my first child, it really made me focus on on uh, on getting to work. You know, that was the one thing. There was no no dilly-dallying anymore, as they say, nope. you know? Nope. Diapers, like, you
1: need all the things to feed a child, too. You know, it's like all of a sudden, the responsibility increases. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, it's, you know, it's this thing. I mean, that's, that's really got me into marketing, actually. You know, I, I really realized that, you know, now I can't be sitting around waiting for, for people to come to me. I need to actually... <laughs> you know, put my stuff in front of people and make this, you know, make this work. So that was a, that was a game changer for me Mm. for sure. Definitely. Yeah.
1: Well, marketing, marketing, uh, the best photographers don't make the most money or they're the most successful. It's the ones that market. And I go through hours and hours and hours of training on marketing. And um, whenever I would do Photoshop world, um, we'd do like a lighting class and there'd be 900 seats and we'd have you know, every seat filled. And then I do a marketing class and a half of the seat would be, uh, the seats would be empty.
3: Yeah.
1: And I always tell the, the I you know, I, I always say to the, the 50% of the people that showed up, I say, well, you just now cut out half your competition because they're not going to know how to market. They don't think it's important, <laughs> but you do. Yeah. And, and so marketing is important, but people don't think it is. And um, if I was to have 10 minutes with you, I wouldn't talk to you about how to set up lights. I'd talk to you how to make a living with your camera.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's that's definitely that's the hardest thing. I think again, you know, in any in any creative um, field, that's the hardest thing is actually
2: making a living.
0: Yes. You know.
2: It's the when you're not when you are a creative and it's you need to do stuff that isn't part of creation, you find it very hard. I certainly find it really difficult to do. Because I'm not interested in it. I don't enjoy it. There's no. nothing about marketing or anything like that that I enjoy because I'm, which is partly why I'm no good at it. <laughs> yeah, well, you that's know? true, actually. It's, yeah. it's, yeah. Sim- it's sure. simple as that.
1: Well, I just- to me, I look at it like this if you're a race car driver, you got to put air in your tires, you know? Mm. And so you got to have oil in your engine. And so yeah. if it, you say, I want to race, I want to race. Well, you got to have a car that goes, right? Yeah, and yeah. so I always say that marketing is the, is the engine that gives you the ability to go and do what you want to do. If you don't have that, that marketing, then you sit around waiting for the phone to ring and, and you're bored. It broke. You don't have any money. Yeah, that's it. And so um, you got to learn to market. It's, it's, I made it fun. You know how I made it fun is um, I call it the power of eight, but it's, it's sprinkling magic dust on an art director to, to hire me. And um it's basically the market uh, the power of eight is getting my name in their brain at least eight times and and um once they get my name in their brain then when they have a crisis they'll call me and it happens i built my whole career on it Hmm. but so my the game was to get eight points of contact with that art director a promo Hmm. phone call or voicemail promo voicemail promo voicemail whatever it was a poster i'd send a poster and drop it off at the front desk Hmm. So it was the game of sprinkling that magic dust on them that they would go and call me call me when they had a crisis, and so and it worked. Like I said, um, and so once I made it a game. Yeah, and also you take the emotions out of it. The emotions of, are they going to hire me? You know, are they going to they they think I'm good enough? Mm. And and you you just take that out and you go nope, just boom 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 boom. And um, so I teach that on the power of eight and it's, it's really a magical thing. I get more emails of photographers going, the power of eight changed my life. And so I want to do some t-shirts, you know, or something that
3: yeah.
1: I can sell, <laughs> yeah. you know, the power of eight. Uh, but it's, it, it really is magic. It's a magical formula. Yeah.
2: I, love I love that. <clears throat> well, see, I is, think such a simple little shift in mindset yeah. towards it. Yeah. But my God, that's great. I love yeah. that. Well, did, did, I
0: love that. I think the difference between you and me is, is, is that, I love the marketing part. <laughs> ah, yeah, I waffle on about that all the time. Um, it's just a fun thing because in many ways, I, I love it when a plan starts to come together. Right. You know,
1: you see the results of your the, the fruit of your labor.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and uh, there's this, there's a degree of like problem solving because some, sometimes, you know, sometimes somebody throws an obstacle in your way and you're trying to get a, you know, maneuver
2: around it and whatever. Um, and it's, you know, it's fun. You know, the funny okay. thing is, is if I was doing it for someone else, I could do it really well and probably quite enjoy it. That's actually true. Yeah. But if I'm doing it for myself, I have this weird block inside my head yeah. that doesn't allow me to self-promote. That's something that I had to learn as well. Actually, that's true. Yeah. Um, I find oh, I, that I, I can, so I can, hard.
1: I can I can help you on that. Okay, Go, please. <laughs> All right. In your mind, you think the art director or photo editor or whoever client is sitting out there ready to hire a photographer. You think they're hiring that they're hiring that photographer because they're the best photographer. It's not true.
3: Yeah.
1: There's a lot of variables. One is um, if they, so, so you, you got to understand, see, this is where the human, the human, human nature and, and understanding humanity comes into play. So let's just say I'm an art director. Okay. And I, I, hire photographers, say, maybe on a weekly basis or whatever, all right? You want to pitch me. So now you look at me as being the road to your kids eating, buying, uh, paying your uh, car uh, payments, your house, mortgage, whatever. And you look to me as this, it's this thing where you're down here and the guy that's, person that's hiring me is up there. So I got to win that person over, right? And so I got to be really good at my craft, which is, I say you should be really good at your craft that's a given but the art director is not looking for the best photographer they're looking for the best photographer that fits within the budget that they have and the time restraints and the within the this 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 world of crisis that they live in because they have a boss they have oh let's say the, the, their boss has a boss and then eventually there's a client right so, you you, there's somebody above somebody who's above somebody who's above somebody and you, they're all looking down the chain to get something done. And now the art director has to get a photographer. That's just the chain of things that are happening. And the art director is got to please the boss. Who's got to please the client, right? So it's just this chain of, of events. So you think the art director is invested in emotionally in getting the best photographer. No, they have a budget that they have to work with under. Mm. And so they might want to hire Richard Avedon to do a fashion shoot, but they can only afford Joel Grimes, right? Because that fits within the budget. This happened to me once where early on, I got this job and I said, and I knew that a really good, the number one photographer in Denver was at the table also. They hired me and I was like, dumbfounded that I won over Mm. the contract and I beat out this really uh, 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 well-known photographer. And the art director said, I'm not here to hire the best photographer. I'm here to hire the best photographer I can afford. (laughs) And it changed everything for me. And so so so. the chain of events are you, what you're doing is you're, you're, all you're doing is filling a slot, a Mm. slot that meets the criteria that they're under. They've got deadline. They might want to hire Billy Bob Jones, who's better than you, but he's booked, he can't, he can't even be uh, available for three weeks, but they need it next week. So that puts him out, right? Or there's, there's the price is too high with that one photographer. So that you give the bid, they go, oh, well, you're within our budget. So take out this emotional uh, burden that you've put on the art director that they're looking for the best photographer. They're not.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: this is so true. And I, you know, <laughs> I learned this um, in the world of uh, corporate photography. So I, um, that's pre-pandemic, I used, to, I used to do a lot of corporate photography. And of course, it's exactly the same thing. You know, you've got, the boss says to middle management, dude, we need a photographer to do company headshots or whatever, you know, uh, it's one of the things that middle management guy has to do on that day. You know, the to-do list is like, fix the photocopier, get more coffee, hire a photographer, do this, do that, the other. And, you know, they just go through this. And all they do is just go on a Google machine and type in, you know, a headshot photographer near me or whatever. And there's five names that come up. They send out five emails. The person that gets back to them first and is within budget will get the job 100% of the time, always.
1: Okay, so here's an interesting thought. I have built a career also on that I am true to my word, I mm-hmm. never make a promise I can't fulfill. Right. So I say, I'm gonna get yep. this stuff to you next Tuesday. I don't hand it to them on Wednesday.
3: No. Right. Yeah.
1: It's Tuesday. Or if they say, can we get it Monday at the end of the day? I'll work on that. Absolutely. Let's do it. And I, I never make a promise I can't fulfill. I always am honest and all my I say fair, fair and giving them a price that fits within me making a profit and they it fits their budget. And I am never late. No matter what it is, I'm never late. You don't be late. I got so many photographer friends that are just freaking late for everything. And it's like, (laughs) and then they go, well, that client uh, canned me. Why? Well, I don't know why. Then I talk to the client and go, well, that person was late every meeting. We can't deal with that. And so photographers are just a bunch of idiots sometimes. They don't understand just the basic rules of engaging with the client being fair. You don't pull one on them. You never make a promise. You can't, you know, keep things like that. And, um, so, and, and on set, I'm excited about the photo shoot. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a drag. Oh my geez. I wish I was surfing today. All right, let's get this thing over with. It's like, I'm enthusiastic. I'm like, okay, let's get this. Let's get a really cool shot here. And I don't know, little things like that, but I think that photographers are just I, I don't know. They need to go to school, like you know. How you put a kid in boot camp, you know, for uh, you know, straighten them out. Most photographers need a boot camp just to get them, just to understand the marketplace.
2: <laughs> so true. I think so you true.
0: Need, I think I need to put my my kids through boot camp yeah. for sure. Do it. Set one up. Well, yeah. I mean, I think again, you know, that's that's very true um, in in most in most uh, creative fields. I, I think in music, in particular, you know. But how many how many other musicians do you know who just don't get themselves out of bed in the morning? This is, Most... I what, this is like an interesting <laughs> thing. So when I when I got married, I moved to a different different area, um, closer to London and uh, and so I didn't know anybody. And so somebody um, somebody said to me, Oh, you know, I'm part of this this networking meeting, la la la. And uh, but they start at six o'clock in the morning. Uh, can you can you deb for me? Because I can't make it. I need somebody to step in, you know, for me. Um and and I'm like, okay, I can, yeah, sure, I'll do it. So I got myself out of bed at five in order to be at this meeting at six. And so the idea was this meeting started at six, um, and it was seven. It was uh, finished by seven thirty, so people could go and be at the desk for eight o'clock or something. And I was I was sitting in this room and I was thinking, you know, at first I thought like, oh man, how like, why do people put put themselves through this like this early? But then when I was actually there and I was looking around the room and thinking, you know. It's interesting because the bar of entry is really high because these people that are in this in this room, they got up in the morning, put their big, big boy pants on, and they're sitting in this room ready to do business. And they're there for one reason, and that's to network business. And you kind of go, that's already filtering out 98% of everybody else out there who are not prepared to, to go to this mm-hmm. length, you know? And so uh, that, was, that was a really interesting, interesting lesson. Although I never joined this particular branch of, of networking group. I was going to say, but... do you actually own a pair of big boy pants? Nah, this it's my wife that wears the pants in, in our house. Mm.
3: <laughs> Clearly.
0: <laughs> Obviously. No,
1: but you take <laughs> but... that... That's that's such a great insight because I teach that too. And I, my kids, I say that, is that um, you, you, if you if you do... Uh, let's just say you do one hour of marketing a day. Let's just say you do one hour of marketing a day. Mm. You have now outperformed about 95% of all other photographers trying to make a living with their camera.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> and so I say, well, that's a, that, that jumps me ahead. Uh, at a, a, a catapults me ahead mm. of most photographers just like that. Yeah. And when I was in Denver, it was kind of an interesting thing too. um, Back when we had the lab, you know, we'd go to lab processor film and we'd hang out for two hours. And you'd always, you know, meet, you know, run into a couple of photographers, maybe go have lunch or whatever. And you get to know them, right? Mm. And I got this reputation in Denver as being, they didn't come up to me and say, Joel, the world's greatest photographer. You know what they used to come up and go, Joel, the marketing guru. (laughs) Because I was stealing all their work. Yeah. They knew I was getting it because I was marketing. Mm. It wasn't because I was such an amazing photographer. Yeah. And so it catapulted me into making a living with my camera. So I would encourage anyone out there that wants to make a living with the camera, just go and do some basic marketing and you will. the return will be absolutely unbelievable yeah. because most people don't do it. And I have a whole yeah. thing on market. I talk about, I have these graphs. I show that if, in the same thing with this. So this is another thing. So I always say, I had two things. I used to have a sign up on, uh, over my desk. Market, I shoot, market, shoot, market, shoot, market. It was just a little thing. Mm. So if I wasn't shooting, I was marketing. If I wasn't marketing, I was shooting. And so I would, and I, I learned that I would have to go out and create self-assignments to get new portfolio pieces. Yeah. So I was always building my portfolio and once I built my portfolio it gave me the incentive to go and show it. Cuz yeah. I was like, "Oh man, I got some new stuff in here. I want to get out and get it out the door." Yeah. But it was like it, that's my life. And I'll I'll give you one more example and then I know we could probably go for like 2 hours, 3 hours on this. But <laughs> um, let me give you one example that will you will you're going to kind of laugh at. When my wife and I got married, I went, I was in Denver for 4 years uh, with my buddy. And then I moved to Washington, DC with my wife. She had a job out there. So we were newlyweds. We had a uh, $900 to our name. When we moved, our rent was $800. So you can tell right away, uh, we needed to get some income in pretty quick. <laughs> and, and she made about 800 bucks a month. So it wasn't like I had a lot of extra money to do anything with, but I started marketing and things just exploded. But one of the things I did was we had this little apartment and I had this uh, folding up table. Like, like uh, you might call it a card table, but it's like a, a folding table. Yeah. And we had this, we had no room, like an office room. So I had it in our bedroom. So we had our bed was on one edge of the, the the bedroom. And then I had a little bit of room with this table. And so every morning I'd crawl out of bed in my undies and there was all my marketing material. I had my promos, my stamps, my list, and back then, you know, we had a phone, I'd, you know, connect to the wall and I would call on all these art directors. That was in my bedroom. Okay? So that's how I started. Mm. Then I got a studio and I took that card table and I had an office and I would put the table as you entered into my office, you had to walk around the table to get to my desk. Mm. And I had the studio where I had plenty of room to put that table, but it, I always had it in blocking my way into my desk yeah. and then i went and moved on another another studio another studio for 10 years i had that table blocking the entrance to my uh office to my desk and people would come over and they'd come hey joe how you doing what's this table doing here well <laughs> so that's my marketing table yeah. why don't you put it over there what's it? i go because every day it reminds me i have to market that's fun, and that age. will tell you my mindset is I had to force myself yeah. to do what I thought I, you know, I didn't want to do or didn't like to do, but eventually it became really fun. And I get these new promos and I send them out and I call up people and they'd be really grumpy. I don't have time for you. Yeah. And I just big old smile and I go send them another one. And then I call them again. And all of a sudden they're in a crisis. Who do they call Joel Grimes? Yeah. 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 Cause I pull them out of a crisis.
3: Yeah.
2: We have um, a, a lot of our listeners are, are photographers who are, you know, perhaps starting out just trying to make their way. What, what would you advise those those other than obviously go check out your training videos, which are incredible. Um, what if, if you were talking to those guys now just to say, yeah, you know, if you're going to do this, this one or two things right now to get yourself going from a marketing perspective, what, what would you tell them to do right now?
1: Well, okay, so... Um, No matter where you live, whether it's New York City or it's Podunk, Iowa, just farming community, (laughs) um, people need photographs. You do family portraits or you do weddings or you do senior high school portraits or whatever it is. So you don't have to live in New York City. But if you live in New York City, you might have access to the big ad agencies and whatever. But no matter where you are, there is someone that needs photography. You got to go find who those people are.
3: Hmm.
1: And so if you, let's say, I'll give you an example. If you are in a community, it's a rural community, and you want to make a living, there's probably somewhere where there's a gathering of children. When I say that, meaning like a soccer field, there's the baseball field, there's the Ballerina Academy where little girls go and some boys go. I'm just covering all the bases there. <laughs> um, there's an equestrian center where little girls, usually boys, but they ride horses. They learn how to ride horseback. Hmm. There's all these little venues where moms drop off their kids. You want to make a living? Find out where those places are and start Taking beautiful pictures of kids. And the next thing you know, you got a line of moms out the door wanting you to take the pictures. You got to find where the work is. You don't sit there and wait for the work to come to you. So if you say, I hate kids, well, then don't photograph kids. But uh, you say, I like surfers. Okay. Find out where the surfers hang out. Well, do you, okay. Let me give you a little insight. You'll never make any money hiring or getting surfers to buy your pictures. But you can start there by getting really good surf pictures, surfing, surfing culture, surfing everything. Mm. Where's the money in the surfing co- inter- er, er, culture? Wetsuits, boards, mm-hmm. all that stuff. The manufacturers that make the products for that culture, that's where the money is. So mm-hmm. you find what you love, you go out and build the body of work and find out who's got the big, deep pockets, and that's where you get your income.
0: Yeah. It's um, in a very similar um, vein. I had a conversation with um, with a car photographer uh, actually only last week, and we we're talking about we we're talking about our exploits um, shooting cars over the summer um, last year. And you know, we were talking about um, the fact we did we did a thing for Ferrari magazine, and uh, and he said like everybody wants to shoot Ferraris and Lamborghinis. The real money is in making a Honda Civic look great.
1: Or, or a Subaru. That's right. Yeah, or a Subaru. Okay. Yeah,
0: because because companies that sell cars in volume have much larger marketing budgets, Excellent. rather than you know rather than um, high end companies like like the Ferraris and the Lamborghinis and the Aston Martins of this world, and that's really where the money is, and that's really what you want to do, you know. And uh, and that's what my, to,
1: that's what my son's doing. He's doing lifestyle car shoots. Yeah, the car is a small portion of the shoot.
3: Yes.
0: Exactly. It's there.
1: It's a lifestyle. It's something's happening. Yeah. Mom with little kids on the beach, and there's the Subaru. Yeah. That's how you make a, a, a lot of money in car photography.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's, of course, it's totally counterintuitive initially, you know, when you, when you first think about it, because, of course, you think about it as, well, clearly a Ferrari or a Lamborghini is so much more expensive than a Subaru or, or a Honda Civic. So, cause, so you automatically think, you know, intuitively that that's where the money's got to be, but it's not. It's in the volume. And so,
1: well, remember I said just about everything we think the way the market is, flip it upside down. Exactly. <laughs> and, and I'll give you one last marketing tip. This is another thing that just literally flipped me uh, for a loop. I didn't understand, but I, I would, I would make cold calls and some people were really nice to me. Oh, Hey, are you new in town? Oh, well, that's nice. Oh, you just graduated from college. Oh, well, come on in, show your portfolio. We'd love to have you. You go in and show your portfolio. Guess what? And they never hired me. Why? They were so nice that they saw every photographer in town.
3: Uh, yeah. <laughs> For sure. So
1: the grumpy people go, I'm a busy, you know, getting. So one day I flipped it all upside down. I said, I'm only going to call the grumpy people because I used to put a little thing where a red sticker meant grumpy hmm. and blue was uh, thumbs up, cool, you know, cool, <laughs> red with bad.
3: Right.
1: So I went and started calling all the grumpy people. I call them back, back. And all of a sudden I started getting all this work. And i realized something i talked to one of the art directors it took me a year to get into him and i showed my portfolio and the next thing i know i was shooting everything for him hmm. and i said how many photographers do you look at a year and he said you're it <laughs> we're the only photographer looked at in the last two years wow and, and i go why is that And he goes i hate photographers i hate you know whatever and i go i know because nobody wants to come in to see you but i got in the door and I became his best friend. Next thing I know, I'm shooting every every job he's got. Wow. So, key on the grumpy people, the rude people, the people yeah. you think are not going to ever hire you, and that'll it'll it'll it'll, sh- it'll shatter your whole perception of the marketplace.
2: <laughs> Just out of interest, how many times did you have a point of contact with him over that year before you managed to get in to see him? How many times do you have to niggle at him? Was it eight?
1: Well, I I'd say the power of eight uh, takes about eight. They've done studies. Eight it takes eight times to remember who you are. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I would hit an art director thirty times mm-hmm. over a course of you know two years. Um, but but um, and sometimes the first promo they call, hey what hey where are you where have you been? I'm here. Well, come on in, right? But but usually it takes it takes at least eight, at least eight, yeah. and. Right. Um, yeah, I got all sorts of stories on that, but I won't take, take too much time on that. But uh, it's, hey, well, it's a, we
0: mu- it's we must fun. be very close to getting Gavin Hoey on the show because I've been, I've been nagging him yeah. <laughs> at least eight times. Yeah. by email at yeah, this point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I, I get people doing that now. Hey, I'm on assist you. This is number six. Hey, I want to assist you. This is number seven. It's like, well, there is a limit. I don't, you know, it's like the guy lives in uh, North Carolina. I'm in Phoenix. It's not going to happen. But um, but I do remember, and here, another thing too, is if you tell me I'm an amazing photographer, let's say on, 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 let's say you come up to me at a, at a, at a, um, convention and you come up, you say, Hey, Joel, I've been following you. You're amazing. Uh, you're my idol. I just worship you. My name's, you know, Fred Jones. And I go, okay, great. Thanks. But if you came up to me say, you know what? I think you're full of it. You're an ass. I hate your work. My name's Fred Jones. I go, Oh, Fred. I'll remember, I'll remember you. you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right it. There. Love it.
0: Um, it is another thing I've um, I've yeah. read about you uh, was that, that you, for a long time, you did your own retouching. Is that right?
1: I do all my own retouching. Every right. commercial shoot I've ever done, except for one. There was one picture in one uh, ad campaign. I had some issues with some building a snow scene. It was mm. for uh, Fiat uh, Chrysler Automotive. I was a little girl with a SUV in the background and I couldn't get the snow right. And I had a retoucher, special retoucher build it, Mm. but I do all my own retouching.
0: Is that, is that something, um, is that something you've, you've always done? I mean, even, even before the sort of transition from film to uh, digital, or is that something that actually comes from, you know, the days of shooting film and working in the, in the dark room?
1: Yeah, I think it's having control of everything. I think Mm. that, I think, here's why i say and i told my son ben learn learn retouching because you can build your portfolio if you if you are relying on someone else to do something that costs money and time mm-hmm. but if mm-hmm. i do it myself i can sit down do a shoot the next day i have a picture in my portfolio mm. i have to wait for somebody and i'm creating a signature a jewel Grimes signature brand yeah. that's consistent and so um, there are some very successful photographers in the high end and advertising that don't retouch, mm. and that's fine. I, I I I'll give you an example. I I I in the early days, I would get uh, uh, an art director call me up and say, "Hey, we would like to hire you to do this shoot, and who's your retoucher?" I go, "Oh me." And they go, "Really?" And I go, "Yes." And they go, "They they were like." kind of like stunned by that they were and at first i thought well maybe that's not a good thing i shouldn't say that and then i had an art director call me and he said um i have a question i want you to i'm looking at this campaign um who does your retouching and i said i do he said excellent i'll hire you he goes i'm tired of hiring these photographers that really don't know the final end result. They just uh-huh. take a picture, but they're not seeing the big vision of it. And he goes, I want a photographer to does it all the way through to the end. And so then that gave me confidence from then on to just say, I retouch. And I've had jobs where a client, uh, one big, huge campaign, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. They came to me and they said, we have an in-house retouching uh, Photoshop retouching crew. So we just want you to take the pictures. And I said, I'm not your photographer, mm-hmm. and they go, "Oh no, no, no! You don't understand. This is, I mean, this is big bucks here. I mean, I don't understand why? Why would you? I go, "I want to see it all the way through. That's that's the Joel Grimes brand. You're not going to get the Joel Grimes. The images you look on my website, you're not going to get by your team." And they go, "Okay, they hired me." So I stuck up with my guns and and I did all the way through. And then I handed the, their their team the final images, and they might have tweaked a few things here and there, but um, so it doesn't hurt to stick. Cause I always say, do you want, do you want the images that are on my website? Do you want those images? Is that what you want? Yeah. Well, get the <laughs> yeah. jewel Grimes all the way through. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm That's colorblind. So <clears throat> I don't see green. Oh really? Or yeah, reds, reds are really tough for me too. Actually all colors, pinks, purples. They're all a challenge. Yeah. I was doing a campaign for uh, crown royal and their their whole everything's purple. Their whole right. signature looked, all their images are purple, everything. So I did this job and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't even see purple. <laughs> so I got to the end and I I took my red filter and my blue filter and I just took percentages and went, okay, I have no idea if that's purple. And I sent a JPEG off to the, to the art director and I said, here's the final. He goes, hmm, great. Uh, the purple just, these will go a little bit more to the red side. Oh, no problem. Pulled the red slider, sent it <laughs> off, nailed it. i hope he's not listening how do you get around that like on
0: a on a a day-to-day basis is it i mean is that something you need to get around at all or does it
1: in in a no my colorblindness is the greatest asset i possess as an artist Mm -hmm. it's a it's a separating it drives me down a path that's unique to me so Mm -hmm. i i say if you have something that's like you say uh you know i was born with you know i don't know uh, whatever you were dropped on your head when you were two years old, whatever it is, you're six foot eight you you're four foot eight, or, you know, you're whatever it is. There's something about you. That's unique. That's your greatest asset. It's not a handicap. There's no such thing as handicap. I mean, it, it's going to drive you. If you're, if you're, you know, in a wheelchair, maybe you do still life photography, I don't know. And mm-hmm. you become the greatest watch photographer that the planet's ever known, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I it's gonna you, whoever you are is going to drive you down a path that stick with that path stick with that uniqueness so you look at my images there there's a certain look to those images
3: mm-hmm, it's because yeah.
1: I'm colorblind and I'm selling that look I get more people going how do I do this uh, this uh, gradient how do you do the Joel Grimes gradient you know how I found out you know so funny I was doing my thing I was just uh, this is okay. 10, 15 years, whatever, 12 years ago, I don't know. I was doing my thing. And I was just putting stuff on Flickr. And I didn't, you know, I didn't, there was, back then, there wasn't the social media we have today. But I was just putting stuff out. And I, somehow I found, uh, a uh, I was on a blog or something. It was Scott Kelby doing how, to dip, get the Joel Grimes gradient or you know signature or whatever, get that mm. look in Photoshop. I never knew Scott at that time. And I'm I, I my jaw hit the floor going, mm. here's Scott Kelby, the number one educator and probably in photography at the time, trying to go and tell people how to do Joel Grimes' thing, right? Mm. I didn't know I, I didn't even know I, they knew who I was. I didn't know I existed, right? In in the marketplace. <laughs> but somehow I started infiltrating the marketplace. Mm. And It wasn't long before I was hired with uh, Scott and be one of their instructors, but it was like, uh, it it, it taught me something because I was so nervous about my retouching. I was thinking, I don't know, people are going to think I'm whacked. The opposite happened. They wanted to copy me Mm. because I was so unique in the way my images looked. So that'll tell you, just stick with what you do and what you love and just do it. And then people will go, I want to be like that. I want to be like that photographer.
2: Mm. It's amazing yeah phenomenal that was seriously amazing incredible you know it's just these are life lessons they aren't just you know photography lessons here these are things you should just live by as far as i'm concerned
1: i hope yeah. so uh, in fact i was uh, approached by a publisher to do a book a how-to book on photography and i said mm, i'll do one on how to be an artist and I go that'll never sell and i go okay <laughs> then let's not do anything they want yeah. me on lighting and you know, every little thing. No, how to be an artist or marketing. I said, uh, how to be an artist or doing on marketing. Those are the two books I'll do. Yeah,
3: yeah. Because
0: you've got you've got a course on your um on the on the Joel Grimes um Academy website that is is, it's something like how to be an artist or something like that. Yeah, the I've complete never seen it.
1: in the complete pack. I have the yeah. artist, the craft, that's right, uh, the business, whatever. Yeah. So the artist mm-hmm. is like four or five hours of just or whatever it is of just talking about how to be an artist and then the business is like, I don't know, six, seven hours of training. It's, it's those kind of things that are going to get you to the top, not how to set your camera up and put a light on a light stand.
2: Yeah. A million trainings and YouTube videos on how to do all of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We did, we did some um, outside strawberry actually
0: the other day, um, where we were, we were trying to, our previous guest, um, Hannah Cousins, she, um, launched a learning platform. Um, o- over the pandemic, and so um, she had one of her videos dealt with high speed sync,
1: right?
0: And um, and so we thought we'd recreate that um, that video, but using a considerably cheaper or, or less expensive um, uh, strobe rather than the pro photo gear that she was using in her videos. So we kind of thought, you know, well, you know, if we can recreate this with with something that's much more affordable to the average you know, right. a photographer, then that just proves that the system works, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went out. We have some moors not too far from, from where I live, um, which is what we seem to be spending a lot of time taking photos. It's annoying
2: because it's cold and wet there always. <laughs> yeah, it's freezing.
0: But we went out, uh, you know, with, um, <laughs> with our little strobe and, uh, and recreated the photo. And I have to say, the end result was phenomenal. It's awesome. Yeah, it was really, I mean, you know, um, all of you people out there listening... Uh, or, or watching this right now, you would have already seen the result if you were watching episode 54. Is that what it was? Yeah, it's covered up. Cool. That gives you an incentive. Um, if, if you look at the card up there and it's the, in the top left or top right of the screen, you'll see a link back to that video. I guess that's what we can do that, right?
3: Yeah. 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 Let's save it. <laughs> Why not?
0: Anyway, so, but it just proves the point that, you know, that uh, you know, gear isn't the be all and end all. It's it's really you know the, the technique that really counts. That was a fun thing. That was great fun. Yeah, yeah good I fun. do
1: I I do high speed sync all the time. It's lo- I love it. Mm. And then I also do not only high speed sync. I I do the same concept only I use ND filters. ND yes. filters I used for years. Then high speed sync came along, and then I'm using ND filters more now because um, the new cameras like the Canon EOS R um, is uh, the the, the the um, it's, it's a mirrorless. So it's you're looking at a compensated video uh, screen of the image. So it compensates the six-stop ND filter. So you're not looking through a, like a black, you know, camera. In the old days, the single lens reflexes, you're looking through uh, the optical. Yeah. Um, this is, you know, digital uh, rendering of the image. So it makes it a lot easier for you to use a uh, six-stop ND filter in the field. And a six stop or a uh, ND filters give you about two stops more overall power to your subject than high speed sync. High speed sync has a limit because it's pulsating in the strobe. Yeah. So there's high speed sync, great, but there's in Arizona, it's contrasty out here.
3: Yeah. That's and true.
1: it's like, you know, it's the worst case scenario. So often I have to, I just did a workshop this last week where I did that for everyone. I showed them high speed sync. Then I said, okay, let's do the ND. Scenario. Let me see what else we can get with this, and so it's kind of fun. Yeah,
0: mm. to go
1: through those those problem solving things. Because we we're we we're we we're often talking yeah. about
0: overpowering the sun, and you know, living here in uh, not so sunny England, you often wonder what sun. There's no sun to overpower.
1: <laughs> That's right. No, I wish I could trade with you for a while because I love the softness of 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 areas like England. When I go there, I'm like, oh my gosh, I could shoot every day here. Yeah. And and the desert after the sun goes up, it's you got to wait till the sun starts to set before you can start shooting again. Yeah. It's just too harsh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's
0: you know, and I love deserts. I've always been you know fascinated by deserts. In fact, you're the second Arizonian we've had on the show because uh, Johnny Simon.
2: Oh, that's right.
0: Yeah, um, it's from yeah Phoenix as well, I believe. Yeah, nice. food photographer. Nice. Um, so yeah, she kind of she said the same thing. It's it's hard, you know, it's it's hard to, to shoot under those conditions.
1: Yeah.
0: Um yeah, I mean we, we sort of have the opposite problem here in a way, is that you know it's by and large, it's overcast. It's overcast guys, which of course is great for a lot of things. Um, but occasionally, drama
1: you can build drama uh, with the with the, yes especially if you strobe something and then you get the background dark enough and then the clouds start yeah. to have texture in it. And I'll tell I you what it. happened was
0: yeah. when, when we went out on the moors um, to do this, you know, high speed sync shoot, um, you know, we exposed for the sky. The sky was actually, we were there sort of late in the afternoon when the, the, the sun was starting to come down. Um, and uh, and the sky looked great, actually. Um, and it was, we had just finished packing up all the gear and we were just carrying it all to the car that the sky just turned into the most amazing purple, pink. Wow. Wow. You know, Lila, it was incredible, yeah. and like you know, I looked around at you, didn't I? And I said, Yeah, we're not passing up again.
3: <laughs> yeah, because I was, I was, I was ready. I was like, right, we're going
0: back, we're going back, we're gonna do this whole thing again with that sky. But of course, you know, by the time we would have gotten our gear out yeah. again, it would have been gone. Yeah. So, and it, it yeah. was cold that day. It was cold, it was and we when we out
2: all day as well doing something yeah. else. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Terrible. No, I, I, that's happened to me many times where you you turn you you tear down just a little too early, and you're like mm. kicking yourself going. Yeah. Uh, but you're when you're cold and your fingers can't work and, you know, yeah, yeah it's like, uh, um, yeah. But, um,
0: you know, and immediately I was thinking, oh, there's this new sky replacement function in Photoshop. That's right. Uh, oh, yeah, but <laughs> I got to keep it real on this one for sure. <laughs> so have you got we're any good. plans? Um, I mean, uh, of course, we're talking post, post-pandemic. post um, Have you got any plans on coming over to Europe anytime soon?
1: Um, we had a a workshop that we were supposed to do last year that's been set up for a long time in Switzerland. Mm. Um, the, um, I got canceled twice. We bumped it twice and uh, who knows if, we'll. we got the ticket sales waiting there and we've already paid for the tickets. Mm. Um, I think, um, United or whatever, just given us a couple of years, um, uh, to re- redeem those if we, if we have to, but, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> no, no, um, no trips, um, you know, I've, I've done a couple things in the UK and, um, uh, the thing about the, you know, the, uh, the British, they, they don't sign up till the last minute. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we are like, uh, we're heading over there and the people that are hosting are like, oh, there's only about half full here. Yeah. And then when I get on a plane, get there, it fills up. It's like, they all wait till the last minute. So I don't know what that is with your culture over there, but, um, you know, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, uh, to be honest with you, I have, um, even before the pandemic, I had put 2020 on hold for Mm -hmm. live events. I had, uh, I usually do 45 speaking events a year. I think I had four scheduled and then the pandemic came along. And so it wasn't a hit to me at all, really. Um, We just had a couple things. One, I just did last week which was the, uh, an event down in Tucson with Roberto Venezuela. Uh, we had four instructors and it was at a dude ranch, cowboys and all that. Um, but, um, I'm trying to avoid, um, live workshops, not because of a, the, the pandemic thing, only because I was getting completely burnt out. I was right. literally going, I get off the plane. I have one day at home I'm take off again. Mm-hmm. I do, sometimes I'd be gone for six weeks straight from my house. One year I was gone 300 days total from my house. But I average, and I've averaged at least 200 to 230 days for the last probably 30 years I've been gone from my house. I'm always gone. And, you know, after a life of that, I'm just starting to think, you know, I'm starting to get worn out.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah. I know it sounds weird because I'm Mr. Gung Ho, 100 miles an hour. But it's almost like my wife and I are taking bike rides. You know, we're just going on hikes. We're doing stuff that I haven't done in years. Because, like, maybe play my guitar. In fact, I just bought this little spark. Have you ever seen the little spark? It's a little amp that you plug in. Uh, yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I just bought it. it came yesterday. I'm gonna, cool. I'm gonna start playing my guitar again.
3: Awesome. Oh, that's great. Cool.
1: You gotta do more than just. Take pictures sometimes you know i've been yeah. you know uh having a career at this but it's it's the live teaching has just worn me out yeah worn me out
2: yeah and you've got to do other th- you got to do other things to be able to appreciate yeah the thing that you, you know, quote unquote love most you know or do most or whatever it might or you make your living from if you don't do those other things you've got- least total perspective and comparison as to well, why think, you think, love think, this. Mm.
1: Think about this. Uh, I got a client scenario. So I've got people standing over me. I'm doing a client shoot Then I'm teaching. Mm. I mean, when you add up all in one year, how much time I shoot with me by myself or just with a one assistant and a model, yeah. that's like nothing. Mm. It's always a group cameras in my face. I got, it's like, I, I just, I've got 10 years of teaching. I'm just, I need a I need a break. I just want to go out and shoot pictures, not have to teach or have a group in front of me. Yeah.
0: So, do you you finding are you you finding that you're um, are you sort of going back to uh, to shooting landscapes
1: um, at all? Uh, I love landscapes, but you got to get up really early. (laughs) That's one thing. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, which I don't mind, but you know, it's like landscapes are hard, and you know, in in the states here in America now. Uh, because of the pandemic, but also before the pandemic, uh, the, 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 the national parks, the state parks, uh, the classic overlooks of great vistas and whatever hmm. are overrun with people. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it is. Okay, you, you got to put things in perspective. Uh, when I was in Iceland, uh, uh, when, uh, I was with um, Ragnar. Uh, what's his name i'm drawing a blank anyways he was saying that they used to take a group out and they'd go to like waterfall and there'd be four people and then because iceland started getting popular you go there and there's 400 people (laughs) in like a four-year three-year period it jumped that drastic Mm. and that's what's happening here in this instagram is probably the biggest culprit facebook because everyone's posting, oh, look at these pictures of this great, you know, yeah. Vista. And then everyone's like, let's go, let's go, get the van, let's go. Yeah. And um, these Vistas are now overrun. There's there's uh, pictures of this arch in Utah that is famous. I've never been there, actually, but um, it's just about, you know, a quarter mile hike. So it's not very far off the main road. But uh, photographers have done it. And and um, there's a photographer who take, takes a picture of all the photographers. There's like, they're they're, they're all literally on top of each other trying to get the sunrise of this yeah. light coming through the this arch and that's what we've come to now here in the states and it's like the only way you get around that is you got to hike about four miles off the road hmm. and then you dis- people disappear hmm. is it, so, wait a
0: funny story do you remember this last summer i think we were talking about this in one of the earlier episodes um there's a there's an artificial lake
1: Oh, yeah. In the
0: north of England, some, somewhere near Manchester, and it's I think it was what kind of lake was it? It was like a not a borehole, but it's like one of those, like I, I don't know, whatever. It's like an artificial lake. It was kind of a it was uh, kind of dangerous, and it got really popular on Instagram, and so lots of lots of Instagrammers went there to uh, you know to take selfies and everything, and then of course uh, we went into full on lockdown, and uh, and any gatherings were basically against the law at the time, right? Oh. And nevertheless, people would hang out um, at this lake and take pictures. And they came up with with an ingenious <laughs> idea. They basically dumped a whole ton of dye into that into that lake, black, black dye, dye, that basically just v- ruined the picture. Ru- ruined the whole <laughs>
1: picture. In order to dissuade. You mean people. the officials did that? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: Because yeah. Yeah, yeah. it so was they like, you know... Do that- It it was like that in LA with the right um, right on Venice beach area. They had the, the, like the old, uh, the the skate parks.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And they'd say, lockdown, can't go on a beach. And these kids with their skateboarders, so they filled it with sand. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) And then all the kids rebelled and they all dug it all out, got the sand out and started going again. It's like, I don't know. These officials, these politicians are just a bunch of crazy people.
0: You know, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's one of those funny stories. I mean what what an idea, you know. Um yeah. I mean you could you could like think, okay, well maybe they build a fence or whatever, you know. No, they just dump a whole bunch of a- black a- diamonds. A- and just like, kill
1: all the fish. No problems. Kill yeah. all the fish.
0: But yeah, no, I, I don't think there was it was like one of these maybe it was like a... did they it was an artificial, like I think they were mining like sand out that originally and i just filled it up with water or something like that it, it wasn't like a natural natural lake sort of thing yeah. but it looked it, it had this really this deep blue uh kind of color to it um and that's what made it so you know appealing to instagrammers and stuff like that right. and it just kind of went all right Stummy, they might as well just times.
1: chop off our legs so we can't hike <laughs> yeah, yeah
0: exactly <laughs> so yeah it's one, <laughs> one of these funny things but So we've come to the end of Camera Shake Podcast, episode 56. But before you go, remember that if you are listening to the audio version of this podcast, make sure you head over to YouTube where you can not only listen to our sultry voices, but can experience the whole thing in full Technicolor. Um, And also, whilst we're at it, why don't you just head over to camerashakepodcast.com and join our community over there. Uh, We're we're planning on uh, creating a whole bunch of different behind the scenes kind of content and extra stuff for you to enjoy. Um, Yeah. That's it. That's us for today. Joel, thank you very much for being on the show this week. It was an absolute education superb. and a superb pleasure. Thank you, pleasure. guys.
1: I thoroughly enjoyed it.
0: Fantastic. Hopefully, we'll have you on the show um, again sometime, and uh, you know, enjoy your time in, in uh, Arizona. And hopefully, the house move goes well and everything.
1: Yes. Thank you.
0: Fantastic. Right.
3: See you all next Thursday.